Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the worshipers of Baal as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 19. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Chapter 10, verse 19. Jehu said, All right, folks, call unto me all of the prophets of Baal. For Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now, he was doing this subtly, it says, because he was intending to eliminate Baal worship. So he gathered together all of the priests and all of the people that worship Baal. He said, we're going to have a great celebration, offering our offerings unto Baal, and I want to lead you all in Baal worship. And so they gathered all of the people from Israel who had worshiped Baal into the temple of Baal. And he says, now, are you sure there are no servants of the Lord here? Nope. All servants of Baal. Then put on your vestments. So they put on their vestments, their aprons and all, in their worship of Baal. And then he ordered 80 men. He said, all right, now go in and wipe them all out. And if you let any of them escape, it'll be your life for his. And so they went in and utterly wiped out all of the worshipers of Baal. And so Baal worship was eliminated out of the kingdom of Israel, totally obliterated. However, Jehu did not destroy the two golden calves that Jeroboam had set up in Dan and in Bethel and continued in the worship of the golden calves and thus did not serve the Lord completely or fully. He did eliminate the Baal worship, but not the worship of those golden calves. Now the Lord said to Jehu, because you have been so good in executing my judgment against the house of Ahab, your children will serve on the throne to the fourth generation. But unfortunately, Jehu did not take heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his heart. So at this point, the kingdom of Israel began to diminish in its strength. And Haziel began smiting the borders of Israel on the east side of the Jordan River, the area that belonged to the tribe of Gad and Manasseh and the Reubenites, and and they began to fall to Syria. Now, I think that there is an important lesson here. When, going back now, the book of Joshua, when the children of Israel were ready to come into the promised land, They had been staying for a while on the east side of Jordan, the Jordan River, up in the area they had settled, many of them in the upper area of the Golan on the east side of the Jordan River, the area of Moab, Gilead. And they came to Joshua and they said, hey, 
We really don't care to go over and live in that land that God promised. We're quite content to stay right here. We're cattlemen, and this is good grazing country, good cattle country, and we're just very content to stay here. Of course, Joshua got extremely upset, or Moses. They first came to Moses. And Moses was extremely upset. He said, oh, you, I can't believe it. Don't you remember what happened to us at Kadesh Barnea when, when the people failed to go into the land? How that we've been wandering for 40 years because of it? And they said, no, no, you misunderstand us. We'll send our men in to fight and, and to take the land, but then after the land is taken, we'll just as soon stay back here on this side of Jordan. So they made a covenant that the men of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh would send the men across with Joshua to conquer the land, once the land had been conquered, then they could return to the cities that they had built on the other side of the Jordan River, and they would not dwell then in the land that had been promised from the Jordan westward. Now, when you go into the spiritual typology of the thing, again, Egypt represents the bondage of sin. Pharaoh representing Satan, actually, and, and the bondage in sin. The Red Sea is representative of baptism coming into a new relationship with God, a new life. And journeying towards the land of promise. And coming to the land of promise, there remained the last barrier, the Jordan River. Now in typology, the Jordan River is a type of not physical death, and this is where a lot of people make a mistake, especially in the hymnology. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan, what did I see? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus Christ died for my sins to atone. And Jordan in hymns has been likened unto our physical death. Uh, roll, Jordan, roll, roll, Jordan, roll. I want to go to heaven when I die. Roll, to hear old Jordan, roll. But that breaks down because after they crossed Jordan, they still had a lot of battles to fight. There will be no battles to fight in heaven. After they crossed Jordan, they even experienced defeat. There will be no defeat in heaven. But Jordan in the spiritual analogy, represents my reckoning of my old life and old nature to be dead. It's that place of faith where I reckon my old life to be dead and I enter into that life of the Spirit, the promised life of victory in Christ Jesus. So that there are many Christians who have come out of the world, but who have never entered into the full life of the Spirit, possessing your full possessions that are ours in Christ Jesus. And their whole Christian 
walk is sort of a wilderness kind of an experience. And there are those who are content to stay on the other side of Jordan. They say, well, I'm happy, I'm satisfied, you know, in my Christian life, and, and I, I really don't see the reason why I need to commit everything or why I need to deny myself these worldly things and all. I, I'm very content and happy living on this side of Jordan, living after the flesh. I really don't know that I need to walk after the Spirit or even desire to walk after the Spirit. And they really have no strong spiritual desires for the fullness of God within their lives. They're content in their nominal Christian state. They are like the tribe of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh who said, we're content to stay over here. We don't really care about going in. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians in this position really are not pressing into the fullness that God has for them in the life and in the walk of the Spirit. But this is the danger. Because Reuben and Gad and Manasseh were the first to fall to the enemy. There on the other side of Jordan, they didn't have the defenses of the land that God had promised. And so often we see those who have failed to enter into the fullness, those who fail to come to the reckoning of the old man to be dead, crucified with Christ, and enter into the walk and the life of the Spirit, are often those that fall into the captivity of the enemy. And so the spiritual analogy is very important here. And so these three tribes were the first to fall to Haziel, the king of Syria. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu are written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel, which books we do not have in our Bible. We do have the book, First and Second Chronicles, but those are the First and Second Chronicles of the kings of Judah. So as we move from Second Kings into First Chronicles, we will be more or less getting a repetition of this period of history, only we will be getting it from only Judah's slant. They will tell you of the kings of Israel, but they won't give you much detail. They'll be giving you more information on the kings of Judah because it is the chronicles or the official records of the kings of Judah that we have, First and Second Chronicles. There were also the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. These books are referred to many times, but we don't have those books in our Bible. So another reference to the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel, which we do not have. So Jehu slept with his fathers. They buried him in Samaria, and Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. And Jehu had reigned for 28 years over Israel. Now, going back 28 years, we go back now to when Jehu first became king, he killed Amaziah, the king of Judah. And 
Amaziah was the son of Athaliah, who was the daughter or a relationship to Jezebel. And there was an intermarriage there tying the kingdoms together. Now Athaliah, the wicked queen, when she heard that her son Amaziah was killed, immediately she went out and killed all of the rest of the children of her son or all of her grandchildren in order that she might reign as queen, in order that there be no heirs to the throne so that she could reign as queen. Now, one of the children of Amaziah, a baby, Jehoshaba, was hid away. This nurse took him and ran into the temple, and there they, they hid him, and they raised him secretly for six years so that he was preserved. Athaliah wasn't able to kill him, and he was preserved and brought up actually in the temple and raised there in the temple in disguise for six years. Now, when he was seven years old, the priest who had more or less raised him, Jehoiada, sent out through all of Judah for all of the captains and all to come. And when he gathered them all together, he swore them to secrecy. And being a priest of God, he made them swear by the Lord, you know, that they wouldn't reveal anything. And having sworn them all to secrecy, then he brought forth. Jehosheba, and he said, here is the descendant of David. You see, Athaliah wasn't a descendant of David. And here's a descendant of David to reign upon the throne. And now he says, we're going to divide into three companies. And, and you know, I want a part of you guys to surround the king. And I want a part of you to surround the temple and surround the city. And, and we're going to proclaim him king. And so they gathered together for the celebration and they, they took this seven-year-old boy who was a descendant of David and they gathered all together. They were all standing there and they brought him forth and they put the crown on his head and they made him king and anointed him and they all began to clap their hands and say, God save the king. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the guards and the people. She came into the temple of the Lord to see what was going on, and when she saw the king standing by the pillar, as was the manner of the king, and all of the princes and the trumpeters around him, and the people of the land rejoicing, then Athaliah tore her clothes and she cried, Treason, treason! And Jehoiada the priest said, get her out of here. Don't kill her in the temple, but take her out and kill her. So they laid hands on her, and uh, they took her out and killed her. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. So there came now a time of sort of spiritual revival as we have now a king who was raised in the temple under the strong influence of the priest 
And now in conjunction with Jehoiada, the proclamation that the people are going to really turn back again and worship the Lord, Yahweh. Or and all the people of the land went to the house of Baal, and they broke it down, his altars, the images, they broke in pieces thoroughly. They slew Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And they took the rulers and the captains and the people of the land, and they brought down to the king from the house of the Lord. And the king was placed upon the throne, and all of the people rejoiced. The city was quiet. And he was seven years old when he began to reign as king. Now in the seventh year in which Jehu was the king in Israel is when this king began to reign. Because you remember, he was just one year old when his dad was killed by Jehu. He was hid for six years. And so uh, in the seventh year, in which Jehu was reigning, this young man began to reign. Now Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. And so uh, he was more or less a puppet leader. Jehoiada the priest was the influence behind the throne. However, there were high places of worship where the people burned incense and offered sacrifices, which was following after the pagan customs, and these they did not destroy. And, of course, that remained the blotch on the kingdom. Now Jehoash, this young king, as he grew older, he, he ordered that they take all of the money that was brought into the temple and they use it to repair the temple, for the temple had come into a state of disrepair because the people were worshiping on the high places and they were worshiping Baal and all. And so the temple of God had come into uh, a state of disrepair, and uh, the king uh, Jehoash ordered that they take the money and they repair all of these places in the temple. But after a period of time, the priests had, had done nothing in the repair of the temple. So Jehoash came and said, what's happened? How come you haven't made the repairs? And the priests were pocketing all of the money. So Jehoiada put this agape box in there. He got a box and put a hole in the top of it so that the people could drop the money in the box so that the priest couldn't get it. And they then took the money that the people would drop in the box and they began to repair uh, the temple. And they gave it to the builders and the masons and so forth who began to restore the temple building. Now at this time, Haziel, who had taken and had captured the area where the Reubenites and the Gadites and the tribe of Manasseh were living, he now had moved his troops down into uh, the area between Jerusalem and the coast, the city of Gath, which was a Philistine city. And he had taken the city of Gath and was now moving his Syrian army to uh, besiege Jerusalem. 
And Jehoash took all of the gold and the silver and all, and he, and he bought off Haziel. Uh, he, he gave him all of this money and said, hey, look, we surrender, and here's all of the money. So he paid him off, and Haziel uh, returned to, the, to Syria, but the temple was robbed of all of its treasures, the gold and silver vessels and all. Uh, they were taken by uh, Haziel. We come in verse 19 to the death of Joash. He was killed by his servants who conspired against him, and his son Amaziah began to reign in his stead. Now, we're going to move north again to the reign of Jehoiahaz over Israel in chapter 13. So up in Israel, Jehu has died, and his son Jehoiahaz begins to reign over Israel. They're in Samaria, and he reigned for 17 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I told you before that Israel did not have one decent king. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Kings 10-13 through 13 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and watch over you through the week. And may you experience the hand of God upon your life. And may you recognize the work of God in your life. May we see those things which are not seen by the normal person. God's hand working in and behind the scenes of our lives to bring forth His will, His plan. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.